Well, we're, uh, we've come to the last in our series on healthy church. I don't know if you've really noticed this whole thing up here. We've been, see, this is hooked up to Jesus, and Pastor Scott's going to listen now. We've had this little stethoscope hooked up to the church. <laughs> Not here in a lub-dub, but uh, anyway, this has just been here as a little bit of a symbol of how, how are we doing? How, how is the heart of the church doing? How is the health of the church and listening? And um, this has been here as a symbol of that. Also, just a reminder that the green color is not a, just a decorator item. It is, uh, this is the season of Pentecost, which you think, well, isn't that red? Well, the sun- Pentecost Sunday is red for the coming of the Spirit. But the season of Pentecost is the longest season in the church here. It goes all the way to Advent, and it's a season of growth. And so we have green often up here to symbolize that growth. But these are the symbols of what we've been talking about, our church health. And we've been looking at 10 different missional markers, and we've been sort of checking them off on our little check-in board here. We talked about heartfelt worship and compelling Christian community back earlier in the winter in, in January and February. And then we did, uh, did the Prodigal of God series during Lent. And then we returned to this after Easter. And we've looked at the centrality of, uh, of the Word of God, a life-transforming walk with Jesus, Transforming uh, Communities Through Ministries of Compassion, Mercy, and Justice. Our friend and guest Debbie Blue addressed that for us that day. Global Engagement we looked at on Pentecost Sunday. Sacrificial giving, Living and Giving. A Culture of Godly Leadership we looked at last week. We looked at Fruitful Organizational Structures. And today we come to Intentional Evangelism. The question that we've been asking all along is this. What makes a church a healthy church? And we've been looking then at these 10 markers that have been developed by those in our denomination who are concerned about congregational vitality. And um, we've looked at them to help us answer the question. But we've also tried to be reminded all along that that at the center of all this is, is the Lord of the church himself. In and through it all must be our deepening devotion to Jesus, as we said. We've been reminded in that we have uh, surveyed and assessed our church over the last, uh, a couple times in the last five years as we've been through this vitality process. We've used these criteria. They figure into the, uh, to the, um, the pulse survey that we've done. And from 2011 to 2014, we did see some improvement between the two. It was a small improvement, but moving in the right direction. We've also discovered with these markers, and each week or most of the weeks, we've tried to uh, highlight some, some extra uh, statements that explain them a little bit, three little bullets that follow each of these markers to help us understand a little bit better what's going on. And so as we come to the tenth and final one, we read about intentional evangelism, these three bullets. We are burdened for the spiritual condition of those who do not yet know Christ. Secondly, we have identified pathways for evangelism to take place in our ministries. And thirdly, our people are equipped and growing in their ability to build spiritual friendships and know how to share their faith as God-birthed opportunities arise. How are we doing? I don't think we're doing as well on this one as on some others. Not an indictment, just an observation. And so we're going to kind of look at intentional evangelism around some of these markers here and... uh, see it really as an area of challenge and growth for us. So our final marker today, intentional evangelism, is clearly a challenge growth area for our church. But we are not without hope. We have the resources right here and what we're doing already and in who we are and in our faith in Jesus. We are a people who love the Lord Jesus Christ with all our heart. And we do want other people to know that as well. And so that's a great place to start, isn't it? 
We're going to look at this a little bit and, and look at where the hope is. We're going to take a, a little bit of a look at our current condition. Some of this is just referring again to the survey and uh, mission statements. I promise this is the last Sunday we're doing this, but it's important this Sunday to wrap this thing up, um, to take a look at our current condition and what, what, some things, uh, what, what is telling about our congregation as we look forward. So we're going to look at our current condition. Secondly, we're going to slip back and we're going to be reinforced and reminded uh, around the passage that Mark just read. As Mark read it and did such a wonderful job reading it, I could just sense all of us going, yeah, we, we, we've, we've heard this before. We, we love the Great Commission. We know the words of it and we believe it deeply. And so we're going to look at that to sort of reground us a little bit as we look at our own heart for evangelism. And then we'll look at some hope for health that I believe that we have as we evaluate our ministries and look to our community and the spiritual needs of people around us. So our current condition. First of all, checking our pulse. Um, stethoscope we could check and all that but this is the the survey that we did if you're new to our church in the last year or so we did some survey work in 2011 and in the same one again in 2014 that assessed our church based on these 10 markers and in 2011 when we did this the first time out of the 10 markers intentional evangelism came in not last it came in number nine (laughs) number 10 was worship (laughs) and uh, we've worked on that over the last several years Uh, but number nine uh, 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 for intentional evangelism in that first pulse results we got, we had the, there was identified three strengths of our church and then three growth areas. We never call them weaknesses, they're growth areas, right? And the number one growth area, the number one recommendation was around local outreach and evangelism. The book says that the pulse results specifically for Naperville Covenant said this, while there is a feeling of recent improvements in this area, this area still stands out in the responses as an area where there is a great need for improvement. This includes both addressing the physical needs of the community and addressing the spiritual needs of neighbors and friends. And then it goes on and says, it would touch the threefold statement of our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church, that says this, making more disciples among more populations in a more caring and just world. And then it asks, what significant changes are required to become more externally focused in your ministry? And so we, we looked at that, and we, we, uh, in the 2014, the score rose slightly because we did step up some of our areas of local efforts in addressing physical needs. We did a lot to come around our area of, of focusing mission in terms of local, regional, and global. We have done a lot of work on that, and we've got a lot more sense of that. But the part of this that has to do specifically with evangelism and sharing Christ did not move up much at all. In fact, when we got the results of the 2014 survey, it actually showed how we answered each of the, I think it's 40 or 50 questions, and four or five of them had to do with evangelism. And two of the lowest responses of any of the questions in the whole survey were these two questions. I am building relationships with people who need to know the Lord. And secondly, through the training in teaching at Naperville Covenant Church, I have a better grasp of how to share the gospel. So that says something about ourselves that uh, a lot of you answered saying, I'm, I'm not really doing that much to build relationships with people who know, need to know the Lord. And a little bit of a, uh, something that points to us as a church and our structures and what we do, we're not doing a lot of specific teaching and training about how to share the gospel. And so um, there's clearly room for growth here. There's no room for guilt. There's no room for shame. Shame. There's no room also for defensiveness, and we need to really watch for our, well, at least we're doing. <laughs> we, are, we are doing some evangelism. It does come through our youth program. It does come in and through our camping program for sure, probably one of the most successful areas. And I don't want to discount those things, but overall, the way we responded to these questions says this is clearly an area of growth for us as a church. 
Let's take a look then at what we say is at the heart of our church. So check, we've checked the pulse. Let's check our mission and vision. You know, you hear me repeating the vision statement a lot. In fact, some of you maybe think I do that too much, but I don't think there's a case of ever doing that too much. But anyway, um, let me just and let me explain a difference. I've, I've done this before, but the difference between a mission statement and a vision statement. We sometimes get those confused. A mission statement basically says this is the purpose of our organization. This is why we exist. And so most... Church, Bible-believing church mission statements can be pretty similar. You can probably pick about from a list of about 10. They're all, they're all going to cl- include pretty much the same kind of elements, but we tweak them a little bit for our, our local context. But a mission says this is why we exist, and, and a mission, in a sense, should never change for an organization. Whereas a vision says, as we put this mission to work and we live into it, this is what we see out there specifically for our church. We believe that working out this mission, we have this vision of who we will be and what God will be doing in and through us. So that's a little bit the difference. So our mission, which we don't repeat much, but it is this. It's on the back of your bulletin every week, so um, it's there. But it says this, our mission is to glorify God by being an authentic Christian community that brings people to Jesus Christ, builds them up to maturity in the faith, and equips them to be disciple-makers who know, love, and serve God. That's an awesome mission statement, isn't it? I haven't spent much time with that recently, but this week I did, and I went, authentic? We like that word. We don't want to be phony church people, do we? We want to be real. We want to build community that's not just chit-chat but goes deeper. We've identified that. We're working on that. That brings people to Jesus Christ. There it is, right there in our... We exist to do that. That is our purpose, is to bring people to Christ. And people are brought to Christ and have been brought to Christ. And some of you have been brought to Christ through the ministries of this church. We do a building up of maturity and we get equipped here to be disciple makers. And sometimes we interpret that just as, as the maturing part. But you have to bring people to Christ first for them to be a disciple, right? Go therefore into the world and make disciples. Not go find people that are already Christians and then develop a Christian education program for them. Bring them first to Christ and then build them up. So it's there. It's in the heart of our mission statement. And this wonderful word, disciple makers, that's there. So that's our mission. It's very much the heart of our mission. Our vision says this. Imagine an inviting community, equipping people to go make a kingdom difference. We see out there, we look out there, that this authentic community is a place of of drawing people in uh, to the heart of this church, but to really let their heart beat for the needs of the world, the the needs that people have to know Christ and to be healed of, of spiritual, emotional brokenness, to have their physical needs met in the name of Christ. Imagine a community that invites people in so that we're equipped to get out there and make this difference for Jesus Christ. After we had established that vision statement a few years ago, we did some strategic planning around that. And we had three focus areas uh, of Sunday morning deepening disciples. But in our focusing mission uh, focus area, our, 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 objectives, our church-wide objective said this. Energi- our objective is to energize our external focus inviting others to join us in pursuing Christ's priorities by regularly and actively participating in ongoing, focused, local, regional, and global mission efforts. That's been our uh, trying to energize an external focus. And as I said before, we've, we've, we're doing a good job in terms of this regional, local, and global. We're making some great strides. We're building some relationships. We're learning some wonderful things. It's been a, a strength of our church, and it's a growing edge for us. But under these church-wide objectives, we had several what we called tactics, five or six tactics. Number, tactic number one under focusing mission is this. Renew our commitment to our community, exploring models of relational evangelism to help us be a more inviting people. And we've talked about that, but we've not done much with that. 
I'm not blaming any of you. I blame me as the one who oversees this, and I don't even blame me. I just realize, I, I just know that this is another area into which we need to press, and I'm feeling more strongly the conviction about this. So we've identified that as a need for us. We've identified that as part of our vision, part of our plan. We've clearly stepped up in our outreach and mission, but we still need to grow in the direction of inviting, including, introducing, and relationship building. Yes, it is happening in certain corners of the church. I don't mean to ever imply that none of this is happening, but I do believe it's a place where we can step up. I think we also need to review some definitions here, just quickly, but um, missional, outreach, words like that, even disciple makers that I've mentioned already. Missional is a very popular word, and we use it a lot, and, we use, and, and, and it's good that we use it. I like it. You know, we just started serving missional coffee. How is our coffee missional? Well, because the people that make and brew and or people that make that coffee and, 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 and roast it and sell it, it's an organization that's employing post-prison people. And so we feel like we're helping them have a job to help them get kind of back into society, not to reoffend. And And so it is missional. It really is a, a cause for which Jesus speaks of, of, of people, imprisoned people and praying for them. And so it's missional. We talk about missional coffee. We talk about missional moms. There's a, a, a Helen Lee's book, and there's a, a movement perhaps to start a Bible study about how a mom lives a lifestyle that helps expose her children to what God's doing in the world and, let, and teaching them to be part of it, as evidenced already by our little missional man, Benjamin Farmer, raising money for Nepal already. These are missional things. Sometimes we use the word missional as being the, the opposite of, uh, of what we think church should be. I remember talking about this when I interviewed here six years ago. Of, um, we've tended to think that the church needs to do things to, be, to attract people. Let's, let's have good programs here. Let's invite people here. Let's fix up our building here so that we can attract people. And we've turned from being an attractional church to being a missional church. So sometimes that's how we use the word missional, of, of getting out there and, and making a difference. But missional also is, we need to realize, is, is, is a big picture word. It's a big picture of God's plan, not just to fix the little things that are broken, but it's God's plan to redeem and restore. It is, it is at the heart of Christ's priorities. Christ's priorities were to bring people into the kingdom. Make a kingdom difference means introduce people to the king. Making a kingdom difference means letting Christ be at the center of all of our missional and outreach kinds of efforts. Christ's priorities are that people would come to know him and be saved in him. Christ's priority is that people would be redeemed and transformed, and then they would be people who would change the world, would be those disciple-makers making a kingdom difference. And so missional is a big-picture word. This is part of the mission. The mission starts with people's need to know Jesus Christ. And then there's the word outreach. That can be a confusing word, too. I remember when somebody told me that when, uh, when, when, we, let the, when we let the local um, homeowners association use our building, that's a great outreach. No, that's a great service to our community, to let the local... Um, you know, uh, I mean, it's, it's not a bad thing, but outreach is a little more than loaning our building. That's one little part of it. But outreach is also a much bigger word than, than just missions or, or just a program or, or just a plan. It includes all of this. It includes the whole mission of the church is a mission of outreach. I love the little statement that we often use, too, that God wants lost people found and hurting people helped. They go together. The whole mission of the church addresses physical and spiritual needs of people, and outreach addresses both of them. Mission trips that we do and mission projects that we do are awesome, and I am so glad that we get on board here and our connection is growing. I love what we do. I love what we are learning in our mission and outreach work. I love the way we are building relationships with our mission partners. That's been part of our vision, and we see that coming to be. 
But just because we're doing those, we can't say, we got this. You know, we're just going to let our emphasis be on this, and we'll let other people do the evangelism. They are tied together. We can't just say, we got this. We can't just say, we'll let people see all that we're doing, and if they ever ask me why, I'll let them know about Jesus. We can't use the, um, we can't use the St. Francis cop-out. Do you know the St. Francis cop-out? St. Francis, you remember him? He was a rich guy who gave away everything, poverty, loved the lepers. And, and St. Francis is quoted as saying, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Oh, thank you, Francis. Now I don't have to share my faith. Thank God. I will just let people watch me for years and years, and um, I am off the hook on speaking of my faith. That's not what Francis meant. <laughs> And I think sometimes too, and this maybe pokes a little bit, that doing the, the mission projects and doing the mission work and doing the things that bring justice are so vitally important. You know that's my heart. I talk about it all the time. But sometimes they're more fun. Sometimes they're maybe easier. Sometimes it's a little more of our comfort zone to just do things than to initiate a conversation and to speak of things that Christ is doing in our life. So that's a gentle nudge. That's me looking in the mirror too. But I think we need to realize it's the whole mission of the church. Missional, outreach, disciple makers. God wants lost people found and hurting people helped. Missional outreach always includes evangelism. So what do we do? If we're just a little unhealthy in this area, what, what do you do when you've got an area where you're, you're, you're not feeling so good or you've had some kind of condition identified? What's the first thing we do these days? No, you don't call your doctor. You Google it, right? We, we pull out our smartphones, right, Dave? Or if we're in front of our monitor. And we get 20 times more information than we need. We get 30 more times frightened by what we read there, but we get all the information that we can if there's an area of health where we're feeling convicted. I was thinking about that this week. Um, there's a, a member of, uh, of the staff at Covenant Offices who's been working for the Covenant for 39 years. Some of you know Millie, Millie Lundgren. And um, Millie Lundgren has served the Covenant many ways. And years ago, uh, when the Covenant developed the Covenant Resource Center, this was back probably in the early 80s, I think, or late 70s, early 80s. And it was 1-800-338-IDEA. I can remember who remembers phone numbers anymore? But that was pre-cell you know, pre phones. So, uh, so Millie developed a resource center, and people in covenant churches all over the country could call Millie. They couldn't send her an email because there wasn't any, and they could call her, and she would send resources. And so uh, the joke around covenant offices, and Megan has said this often, that Millie Lundgren was the Internet before there was an Internet. You know, you could get what you, uh, you could get the resources you needed. If you had a problem in your church that needed some resources, you just called Millie, the Internet before the Internet. Well, even before the internet and even before Millie Lundgren, there was the Word of God <laughs> that addresses these issues of health for us as well. So I just want to take a few minutes to look at this Matthew 28 text that we just read. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus says here, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I am the truth and I am the power. The authority and the power of Jesus was proved in the resurrection. He conquered death. Jesus Christ is the Lord of all. He is not an optional Lord. He's not just a, uh, not just a friend for the religiously inclined. 
Jesus is not just for church people. He is the king of the universe. He is the Lord of all. He's the end of all. The Apostle Paul said to the Colossian believers in chapter 1, one of the, one of the highest moments in, in, new, in the New Testament, Paul says of Jesus that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus Christ holds all things together. King of kings and Lord of lords. And that means that each human being on this earth is deeply loved by him and is of importance to Jesus. That means that each human being desperately needs to be connected to him. Each human being on earth needs to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, through the incredible gift of grace that God offers. Not high and lofty requirements that have to measure up on some kind of a scale or any kind of um, check-off board or whatever that, but simply to receive the grace of God. Everybody needs this Lord of all who holds all things together. And so he gave a commission to his disciples. And it's a commission that's pretty great. In fact, it's so great it's called the Great Commission. And it's a pretty missional commission as well. The Great Commissional Mission to go. I love the song we sang today. Go to feed the hungry. Go to those who are broken. And Jesus says in this great commission to go to all people. Now this changed earlier in his ministry. Jesus says, you're just sent to the, to the Jews, to the house of Israel. But now he says, go to the ends of the earth. This is not just for the religious people here in the Middle East. This is not for just church people. This is now beyond all cultural boundaries. This is beyond all races. This is beyond all ethnicities and things that have divided people for centuries. This goes above and beyond that. This is not just some Middle Eastern religion that morphed into a European religion that conquered and dominated and then is fading. No, this is a life movement that's very much alive now. And if it's faded in Europe, it's very much alive in Latin America. It's going nuts in Africa right now. This is a movement of life in Jesus Christ. This is a commission that's been taken seriously. This is a, this is a, a call to a life of, of, of hope and a life of abundance. This is called to get the, the gift that people receive in Christ is an assurance and, and meaning for their existence in life. This reconciling relationship of grace with the living God is an incredible gift, not an imposed belief system. It is the gift of God, not something that we impose on somebody as a system. And so Jesus says, all authority has been given to me and you are my ambassadors. Go. You are blessed to be a blessing. The, the, the covenant that came to Abraham way back hundreds of years before where God said to Abraham, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will bless all nations through you. And Jesus says, today's the day. Here's the great commission. And then Jesus finishes the Great Commission, and Matthew finishes the gospel with a promise of presence. And it's a promise of relationship. I mean, think about those disciples. There were just 11 at that time because Judas was out of the picture and they hadn't recruited anybody else. There might have been the other disciples as well, but we know that the 11 were there. Can you imagine them hearing this going? And they look at each other and go, yeah, the 11 of us, we're going to change the world. But Jesus promised to them presence. He promised the Holy Spirit who would come and indwell them. 
And the Holy Spirit comes not just to give us power to do a job or not just to be be an inspiration to remind us what the Bible says, but the the Holy Spirit comes to be a live partner in this process. It's it's very much the presence of with Jesus with us in the purpose, in the power of the Spirit. This promise of I will be with you always is a promise of not just of a power, it's a promise of a relationship. It is how we proceed. We proceed in and through our relationship with Christ. The relationship that God builds with us encourages us as we then build relationships with others. And that witness of Jesus is what gives us and gives me, and I believe gives our church, great hope for health, which is where I want to move to now for a few minutes here. Hope for health comes in the building of relationships. It's always fun when you're getting to know people, um, if they're married people, to find out how couples uh, met. And uh, more and more of the story now is online, and that's kind of exciting to hear how those stories happen, the, the failures that precede the successes and things like that. I was running yesterday with some people on my, my, my marathon team, and there were some new runners, and I was visiting with this one woman and found out she and her husband had met uh, back in their mid-20s at ballroom dancing in Colorado Springs. That was kind of a fun little story. But you realize as you talk to people about how they met their spouse that very few, if any, of those relationships developed in that first interaction. <laughs> very few, if any, relationships develop in one interaction. Even the people that tell you this, that it was love at first sight or that they heard God whisper in their ear, this is the one. I've heard some stories like that. Even then, it still takes time to d- develop a real relationship. It is a series of interactions over time. As we share Christ with people, it's not always just, I've got to do this thing. It's more in the context of relationship. So as we build relationships with people, we, we build a real relationship. We don't see a person as a project. We see them as a person, beloved of God, that we want to get to know. And it might take years before they meet Christ. It might be days. But as we get to know people, we listen for the deeper things. We wrestle with the deeper things together. We find ways that we can pray for this person. We might even ask them if we can pray. We listen for spiritual openness and interest. And if we don't see it, we just back off and pray for it. We listen for opportunities to take a relationship just one step closer to Jesus. I don't know if you remember that. We, for years, did Bringing My World to Christ, a list of names that we'd pray for. But for a couple of years there, we did one called One Step. What's your one step in a relationship? Of how can you open the door just a little bit more to a discussion of spiritual things? We need to learn how to have spiritual conversations. People are not a project. It's a relationship we build. And this is one of those bullet points that I was convicted by, and I confess I'm not doing very well at this in my, my stage of life. I don't have many relationships with non-believers. My world is very, very churchy. Even when I run, I'm running with, with Christian people. And so it's hard for me to preach this today. Well, it's easy for me to say the words, <laughs> but I don't like to preach things that I'm not doing or not, not tied into. I know this is true, and I'm convicted by this. And I want you to know the challenge comes to me as well. But it really doesn't seem that hard because I like to get to know people. I love to get to know people. We just need to be more, well, intentional. <laughs> and that's the word here, more intentional. And I know some of you are very intentional in this area, and I commend you for that. I know some of you have claimed your neighborhood and look for every opportunity you can to reach out. But some of us need to work on it. And in the church, we need to do it as well. And I believe it's a, a call to a, a culture shift for us. Not just a sermon series, not just a Sunday school class from that church that's really good leading people to Christ, not just a new program, 
but a shift in how we think about evangelism, how we think about our neighbors, a shift that eventually affects all of our programming, not just like... not just the outreach program, but everything we do. A big question to ask is, who is the church for? Who is the, what does the church exist for? And some of us, we've heard the right answer, some of us, that the church exists for those who aren't yet members. That's kind of the great commission is, that's why the church exists. But we tend to think and act, most of the time, like it's for us. This is our church. I like our church. I like, I like, I like a small church. I like this kind of church. And that's not all bad, but we tend to think that it's for us. And we tend to do our planning and our programming mostly for us. And we tend to do our budgeting process mostly for things that benefit us and help us grow. We may even worry that if a church gets a little too externally focused, that we won't be cared for. That we won't be fed. I actually heard these things a couple times a few years ago when we were really ramping up our outreach and missions a few years ago. But if the church exists for those who are not here yet, it should affect our culture. There are things we need to look at in how oriented we are to those who are on the outside and how how inviting we really are to those that need to know Christ. There's a lot we need to learn and discuss and learn here, and I can't get into all of it, but it's a start. And to get myself started, I've, I've been reading a book entitled Organic Outreach by Kevin Harney. I have the information in my little outline in the bulletin if you want to look it up yourselves. Harney speaks of this culture shift um, impacting all the areas of a church's ministry. He talks about it um, impacting, um, um, I think, of this whole area of budget. He said he'll look at a church's budget and they'll say they're committed to missions. And and we have a big commitment to missions. We have a 13% commitment of our our, uh, budget to missions. But the the largest chunk, and and this is is a little scary for me to head into this area, but the largest chunk of our budget, you know what it is? Salaries. Because we bring in the big bucks. But anyway, um, seriously, uh, <laughs> you know, between salaries and benefits and things like that, and, and, and next beyond that would be some expenses around our building. We have a small mortgage, but we do have a mortgage, utilities, things like that. And there's nothing wrong with those things, but as far as Diana's and my job description and the job description we have for the worship leader that we're searching for and the children's ministry person we're searching for, um, don't really have very much about missions and outreach. We do some. It's my passion. Diana does an incredible job with mission trips, but we don't have a staff person committed to evangelism and outreach. And again, that's not an indictment. It's just it is. Our, our, we, we, most of what we do is for here. So those are the kind of things we look at when we, when we look at culture. And these are the kind of things that, that Harney points out. I just have a couple little suggestions from him as we, uh, as we bring this in. A couple simple suggestions that Harney gives for getting started. The first one he calls the one-degree rule. The one-degree rule, raising the evangelistic temperature. And he says, to, as an individual as a church, to take your evangelistic temperature for, on a scale of 1 to 10. Are we sizzling hot? Are we all fired up as individuals or as a church to see people come to Christ? Or are we icy cold? Or are we somewhere in between? So just take a moment in your own head for yourself right now. Kind of what would be your evangelistic temperature? Not just what you know is the right thing to do if you've been in a church for very long, but what, really just kind of an honest assessment of what would be my temperature now. And I don't have a thing to put on the screen to record all your answers because Dave Slappy is much more smart than I am on that stuff. Now think about our church. As you know our church, if you know our church very well, where would you say our evangelistic temperature is as well? Okay, I hope you have a number in mind. Now think about this. What can you do or what can we do to raise it just one degree? Just one degree. Not to go from icy cold to sizzling hot and 
one easy relationship. But what's one, one thing you could do? I'm thinking of some relationships where I could just take one step of initiating with a neighbor. I felt convicted over the last year that there's a, a group that runs at the club where I, I swim. I don't run there. I swim there. And go, and I, I see them running every Tuesday when I come to swim. And I go, I should be running with those people. So I, there, I just said it. You can keep me accountable now. My wife's already been trying to keep me accountable now. But one th- what's one thing? What's one little degree that we can raise? So that's one layer. Conversation, a prayer list, a, perhaps even discussing this with a friend, another Christian in the church to say, what do you think about what Scott said about that? Let's talk about our spiritual life. Even that would be a step to say, let's, let's bring it up. Let's make it part of our consciousness. That would be raising one degree. So I encourage you to do that. Secondly, Harney suggests the two-degree rule, the power of vectoring, he calls it. And what he says is in a, uh, he has a compass, and, and in a compass, uh, everything go, heads north. And generally in a church, most things head towards us. That's us up at the top. And I said that about looking at the budget and things like that. Harney says, the church is already doing all sorts of things with evangelistic potential. We just usually do these things for people already on, in God's family. Even our outreach sometimes is to bring people in that are already Christians and just looking for a good church. And that's okay, but some of the things we're already doing, he says, could be changed. He says, what if we shifted that needle just two degrees toward the community in every program and everything we do? Okay, everything's towards us, our programming, what we do for ourselves. What if we, everything we did, not just our outreach program, but everything was just shifted a couple degrees? Now, some of our programming does. There's there's different times of the year when the youth program is clearly shifted that way. In the 30-hour famine and sleep out Saturday, kids inviting friends, it does shift that way. But what if always in every one of our ministries we were thinking of the community? In our, in our worship, in our classes, in our community building, in our outreach programs, in all the things that we do. What are some of the things that we already do well that could be even turned that way? We do missions well, but how can it turn in the direction of this community right here? In the book, he shares a story of a church that he was pastoring at the time who they had an incredible meal ministry uh, within it. And we do a pretty good job, too. If somebody is hurting in this church, there's been a loss in the family or illness, our, our people are good about organizing meals and caring for each other. And this church was, like, over-the-top great on it. Their two degrees was, there's some people in the community that are in need, too. Bam, it took off. They, already, they used what they did well, but they just opened the door a little bit, two degrees towards the community, and all of a sudden, they were making connections. I have this neighbor. I have this friend. Meals were coming. Relationships were building. And people were coming to know of the love of Jesus. That's just an example of what can happen. Can we do this? We can do this. I think we can do this. In some cases, we're already doing, as I said. We are not hopeless. And I want to challenge us as individuals and as a church as we press into these things. So what I want to do this morning is I want us to spend a few minutes praying for our church, silently, just praying for our church, praying for our spiritual temperature, praying for intentionality, praying for a willingness to see things differently and change the culture when it's needed. Let me begin by leading us, and there will be a moment of silence for your prayer, and then we're going to pray for VBS. Let's pray. Lord, thank you as I've tried to uncover some of these things and poke at some areas where we need to grow, I pray, Lord, that you really would be doing a work in our hearts and minds, that we would, you would move this, Lord, from a place of should to a place of desire, that you would do a work in our own hearts as we look at neighbors and friends, that we would see the needs in people, we would see the power of your 
of your love and your grace to change people. Hear us now, Lord, as we pray for our church. Thank you for the faithful prayers of your people now. We bring them before you and pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Now, a great evangelistic opportunity begins right here tomorrow morning. We have kids coming from the community. We have our own kids are here, kids that they've invited coming from the community. And so I think it's important that we pray for Vacation Bible School uh, today as well. Pray for the hearts of children to be open to the message, that it's not just a program and a lot of visual images that they kind of get hit with, but that in the relationships with crew leaders and others, that they would really know and experience the love of Jesus. We need to pray for our own, our staff people, for those of us that are interacting with the kids too, Lord, to, 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 to interacting with the kids to be open to um, seeing children as, as God sees them and to be open to the opportunities that God might give to, to take things to a spiritual level with children, to ask them if they understand and to be sensitive to them, that we would truly believe what it is that we're teaching as we speak of the power of God. I'd like to ask if you are involved in any way with Vacation Bible School, if one of the area direct group area leaders or a, a, a crew leader or a volunteer uh, working with games, uh, with food, whatever, uh, if you're involved with EVS, could you stand for a moment? Here's a lot of your people that will be here tomorrow, not at 9 when it starts, but at 8.15, right, everybody? 8.15, because we're going to pray this thing. We're going to pray over this thing. We're not just going to kind of go through the BBS motions. We're going to pray for this thing. Will you join me now as I pray for these people and for our Vacation Bible School? Lord, I thank you so much for these faithful friends who are standing now and many others that aren't here today but will be here tomorrow morning, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would be at work in their hearts preparing them for what you have through them as they love on children with the love of Jesus. Lord, that we might see this as taking just one step, raising the, raising the temperature just one degree on our evangelistic meter that's in our own hearts, Lord, that we would see children as those who need to know you and know your love and grace. And then we pray for the children as well and for their receptivity. Lord, we ask your blessing on our VBS. We pray for physical protection over this building and this property, that there would be no harm we pray, Lord, for an openness to what you're doing. We pray for the leadership to stay strong and focused and available, Lord. We just pray for a good communication between all of us as we're putting things together, Lord God. We pray for the joy of Jesus to be known in the midst. We ask your blessing. We commission these friends and volunteers today, and we ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.